Well, good morning. It's good seeing all of you. I am so excited that you braved it out in the cold and the snow. We'll see. But um, before we get into the Word, uh, let me pray for us and ask the Lord to go before us and make Himself known to us through His Word. Our Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your mercy and for Your grace. I thank You for Your goodness. God, I thank you that you are personal and that you can be known and that you have revealed yourself through your word. And Lord, I pray that as we open your word that you would speak to us, that you would stir our hearts and our affections for you. Overwhelm us with your mercy and with your grace. And Lord, you know each and every one in this room. You know uh, what they're going through. You know what they are experiencing. You know the idols that they're clinging to, the insecurities that they're dealing with, their struggles and their fears and their pain and their sorrow. You know everything about them. So Lord, I pray that can you meet us where we are? Can we see, Lord, that you are the great provider? And that your provision satisfies, your provision endures, and your provision is ultimately you. You've given yourself to us. And so as we hear these truths in your word, may we cling to them. May we look to you and trust you and rest in you in times of trouble. And even in times of goodness. Help us to fix our eyes on you, Lord. And I pray that you'd speak to us and make yourself known. We love you and we praise you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to John chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 6, verse 1, and hopefully we'll make it uh, through uh, verse 21 as we're continuing our series through the gospel. Now, in the Gospel of John, uh, John is, sh- is showing us that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And the way he does it is by showing us how Jesus revealed his glory and also how Jesus received glory from the Father. And the reason why he's trying to show us that Jesus is the Son of God, he is the Messiah, is to invite us in to believe in his name so that we may have life. And so the purpose of our series, the invitation of our series is whether you're believing or already believing that you will continue to believe in him or if you're not believing that the invitation will be there for you so that you can believe in him and experience life in his name. Now, last week in chapter 5, after Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, Jesus made some staggering claims about himself. And as he spoke directly to the religious leaders, he kind of made plain what the claims he made about himself, this relationship that he has with the Father. And so in these claims, we saw the equality that he claimed with the Father and also this perfect unity and perfect relationship that exists between God the Father and God the Son. And the application that Jesus makes about these staggering claims of equality and unity with the Father is so that the Son will be honored. And we learned last week, how is the Son honored? The Son is honored by us believing in the Son and obeying the Son. 
And then after these staggering claims, Jesus also brought witnesses that would kind of attest to the the validity of these claims that he's making. And so the very first witness he brings to mind is that of John the Baptist, who said, Behold, the Lamb of God who's taken away the sins of the world. And the second witness that Jesus brought to our attention is the very work that he performs, the very miraculous things that he does as attesting to the divinity of himself. And the third witness was the Father who sent him. And then the last witness was the Scripture. And so the religious leaders knew the Scripture, and yet in all their study they missed the point because they were studying Scripture thinking that their obedience to the law is going to grant them eternal life, and yet they missed the point. Every verse, every chapter, every page pointed to Jesus, and they were too blind to see it. And so now we are in chapter 6. And in chapter 6, John, we we find ourselves, and John kind of tells us that the Passover was near. And the reason why he gives us this detail is because people would have remembered the history and the deliverance of God's people out of Egypt. And so, so John is going to show us during this time, Jesus performed a miracle. And obviously these miracles are going to testify to his divinity. However, this particular miracle, he's trying to draw our attention to what Jesus is showing us in this miracle during the time what is going on because he's trying to show us that Jesus is the promised one of long ago, that he is truly the true and better Moses. And this miracle that he's performed is actually going to be recorded in all four Gospels, which shows us the importance of this miracle. Because what this miracle does, it shouts to us the message of the gospel, showing us there's nothing impossible for Jesus, that he truly is the great provider, and there is nothing he cannot overcome. So let's look at our passage today, and let's see how Jesus is the true and better Moses. Look at John chapter 6, verse 1. After this... Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up on a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming towards him, he asked Philip, "'Where will we buy bread so that these people can eat?' He asked this to test them, for he himself knew what he was going to do. So so let's stop here and unpack this a little bit before we move on. So obviously this account begins with a huge crowd following Jesus up on a mountain. As John tells us, the Passover is near. And John also tells us the reason why this crowd was following Jesus, they were not following Jesus because they believed in Jesus and they want to obey Jesus, but rather they were following Jesus because of all the miraculous signs he has performed. So whether they've seen it with their own eyes or whether they've heard it from other people, their motives of following Jesus to wherever he's going is because they're interested in all the miraculous signs and healings that Jesus performs. But notice in verse 4, John tells us that the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. Now, now, so far in our study of John, John is very intentional in the details that he's giving us. 
And so I don't think he gives us this detail so that we can kind of put uh, the, the, the chronology of the story together of what time frame and, and what time, day of the, the, the year this took place, even though we could possibly gather that information around this festival. But I think the reason why he is giving this detail to us because of the theological implication of what this miracle has when it comes to the Passover. Now let's think about briefly of the Passover. The the Jewish Passover celebrated the exodus and the deliverance from Egypt. The Lord took his people out of bondage under Egyptian rule and delivered them. And in that deliverance, he struck down the firstborn of every Egyptian and spared the firstborn of every Israelite. Why? Because the blood of the lamb covered their door frames and their door posts. But they were commanded to sacrifice the lamb, take the blood, put it on the door frames and on your post so that when the angel passes by, he will not strike down the firstborn. And so they were supposed to eat the lamb with haste. And so part of of, of this celebration is a reminder of how the Lord has delivered his people. Now a little sidetrack and then we'll get back here. In the Gospel of John, John mentions the Passover three times. And every time he mentions the Passover... There is a theological significance. There is a miracle that Jesus performed. So, so for example, in the very first Passover that John mentions, we can find it in John chapter 2, verse 13. If you look at your Bibles in John chapter 2, verse 13, you kind of see, what did Jesus do? Well, that's when Jesus came and he cleansed the temple. And by him cleansing the temple, what was he saying? Jesus was declaring that he is a new and better temple, that he is a new and better priest. He is the ultimate Lamb of God that will take away the sins of this world. But now, we come to the second Passover that John mentions. There's theological significance to it. So now, during the second Passover, even though we haven't read the miracle, what's going on here? Well... As the crowd is following Jesus up on the mountain, Jesus sees the crowd. And when he sees the crowd, what does he really see? He sees people who are in bondage. He sees people who wants deliverance. He sees people out with hope, thinking that maybe Jesus is the one they expected, who will deliver them out of the bondage of Rome. And since the Passover was nearby and hopes and expectations was high, that was the rallying point for nationalistic zeal. And as they are celebrating the Passover, it's stirring in them all this hope and all this desire and this longing of remember what God has done in the past. God will certainly deliver us from Rome. And then also as we see in the the story of Moses, after the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, they were wandering in the wilderness and they were complaining and they ran out of food. And what did the Lord do? The Lord provided bread from heaven, which is called manna. And here's now we're going to start seeing a similar miracle that takes place. 
So as the people are gathering and Jesus looks at the crowd and he sees the expectation they're coming to him, the hope that they're coming to him, Jesus turns around to Philip and he asks Philip, how are we going to feed these people? Where are we going to get the resources to feed these people? Now, why does Jesus ask Philip? I have no idea. Scholars believe maybe he asked Philip because Philip was close to that area so he might know where you can buy the amount of bread to feed all of these people. But John also tells us Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. He only asked Philip because he was testing Philip and maybe the rest of the disciples. Let's look at Philip's response in verse 7. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barely loaves of two fish, but what are they for so many? So, so Philip's initial reaction to Jesus' question, he can't help but think of the physical level, the practical level. So from a human standpoint, this situation seemed impossible. First of all, it would take 200 denarii to feed all of these people, not even satisfy them. That's about a, a worth years of wages. Second of all, all the disciples are poor. They've left everything to follow Jesus. So certainly they do not have the resources to feed all of these people. The task seems impossible. And then Andrew, he kind of chimes in and, and he contributes and we really don't know his motive. Like, we don't know, uh, is he listening to this question and he's just being sarcastic and saying, wow, here's a little boy, look at what he has, maybe you can do something with that, or whether he's displaying faith. The reality of it is, we honestly do not know. But what we do know is he introduces a boy, or it could even be a young man who packed his own lunch. He has five small uh, barley loaves and two small fish. And yet even Andrew's conclusion is that would not be enough to feed these people. Won't be enough to feed thousands of them. But yet what we're going to see is the little that was placed in the hands of Jesus. Look at what Jesus can do with it. Look at verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. So they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves. And after giving thanks, he distributed to them, to those who were seated. So also with the fish as much as they wanted. And when they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. And so despite the size of the crowd, Jesus proceeded with an orderly fashion, seating the people in preparation for the meal. 
And John tells us that there were 5,000 men. And so scholars believe looking at that, it could easily exceed well over 20,000 people. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus took the little, and after giving thanks, he started to distribute the food. And I think the very first thing we, we can learn from this, remember that the point of the story of what John is trying to show us is that Jesus is a true and better Moses. He, he's not trying to show us anything else, even though there's many applications we can draw from it, but what he's trying to show us is that Jesus is the true and better Moses. So here's the very first truth that, that he's showing us in this tech, is text, if you're taking notes, is this. The lack of provision was no match for Jesus, who is the great provider. The lack of provision was no match for Jesus, who is the great provider. The people were able to take as much as they wanted. The food did not run out. What came from Jesus far outweighed the 200 denarius that were able to feed these people because it would have been able to feed them but not really fully satisfy them. And what we see from the great provider that Jesus' provision fully satisfies. Everybody had more than enough to eat. This is the plentiful provision that the Lord declares in Jeremiah 31, 14. My people will be satisfied with my goodness. Now, before I move on, I kind of have to go on a rabbit trail, a little side note here, uh, because uh, this story obviously is a very familiar story, and I've heard so many spins when it comes to the story, especially amongst the prosperity gospel uh, preachers. And so one, one spin I heard is, is, notice when the food started multiplying. It's after God gave, after Jesus gave thanks. And so if you want the things in your hand to multiply, what do you need to do? You need to give thanks. And there's all these kind of stories and applications and things like that, but, but, but I want to get us to the point here. Jesus is the great provider. What does he provide? Well, 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 for many of us, we think of provision when it comes to physical, but if you think about actual physical provision, the reason why we go after the actual physical provision because we are longing for something deeper within. So, for example, why do you want more money? Just so that you can have it? No, what are you longing for deep within? You're, you're, you're longing for comfort. You're longing for security. You're longing for power. You're longing for significance. The reason why we're constantly chasing after mater the material is because we think these things will ultimately satisfy us and make us happy. And so we chase after those things thinking that that's what the heart desires, but that's not really what the heart desires. That's on the physical end. Our heart desires something so much deeper and greater than just what it appears on the surface. And yet when we learn this truth, 
that the lack of provision was no match for Jesus, who is the great provider. What it's teaching us is, what does Jesus provide? The very thing that your heart desires. You desire meaning, significance. You desire peace. You desire rest. You desire comfort. You desire security. Who's the one that provides? Jesus is the great provider that provides these things for you. Not these other things that we're chasing after. And so even when the disciples were thinking on the physical of we actually need money to buy this bread, Jesus was thinking so much deeper. And even though he knows we need this bread, because what does bread in a sense do? It does satisfy, it feeds our bellies, but something even spiritual goes on as it feeds our bellies. And what we learn about Jesus as the great provider, he is the one that ultimately provides the deepest desires and longing that's going on in our hearts and in our souls and our minds. So the very first thing we learn as Jesus being the true and better Moses, uh, he is the great provider. The second thing we learn if you're taking notes is that the provision that Jesus provides endures and does not spoil. The provision that Jesus provides endures and does not spoil. So, so again, since John is trying to show us that Jesus is the true and better Moses, let's think back at Moses' days when the people were hungry and complaining. What, what, did, what did Moses do in a sense? God provided bread from heaven, and they thought they came, that came from Moses. And they were supposed to gather as much as they needed. But what happened the next day? The next day, that provision was gone. It rot. It spoiled. And what John is try, trying to, to show us in these leftovers that of these 12 baskets is that Jesus' provision is so satisfying, is, is enough that supplies even the needs of the 12 tribes of Israel. It endures. It does not spoil. It's not a one-time provision, but a continuous provision. And look at how the people responded to the miraculous sign. Because I know for some of you, you're thinking, hey, Neil, I, I think you're reading too much in this text. I don't really see where John is talking about Moses. I think you're just making it up. I'm not. Look, look at verse 14 here. Bear with me. Look at how the people responded to the provision of Jesus. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. Verse 15, therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So after the people saw, here is Jesus in the middle of nowhere somehow providing bread, they're probably thinking from heaven that fully satisfies them and there's such an abundance of his provision that there's even leftovers, 12 baskets full of leftovers. What was their conclusion? Well, look at verse 14. Their conclusion was truly this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Now you're thinking, well, it's not saying Moses. It could be any prophet. But when we look at the whole Bible, Moses, 
when he was speaking to the people before he died. He said, a prophet is coming that will be just like me. Look at, uh, you don't have to turn to, you can just write down the reference. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 to 19. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 to 19. This is Moses' words to the people. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see his great fire anymore, or we will die. So in other words, what did the people tell Moses? Hey, we can't, we can't. We can't listen to God. We can't see God because if we do, we're going to die. So in a sense, what did they ask for? They needed a mediator. Just like Moses served as a mediator between them and God, they in a sense says, yeah, we need a permanent mediator. We cannot stand in the presence of God all by ourselves without a mediator or we will die. And so Moses says, yeah, I'm about to die. I'm not going to go into the promised land, but a prophet is coming who's coming from among you. And you must listen to him because you asked for a mediator and he is going to serve in the role of a mediator. And then verse 18 says, The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up from them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell him everything I commanded him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. And yet, in a sense, when Jesus speaks, whose words are he speaking? The very word of God. And so from this miracle, the people are now starting to put two and two together. Could this be the prophet that Moses spoke about? The one who will be like Moses, who will mediate between us and God. Clearly, there seems to be similarities because this Jesus somehow provided enough bread for all of us to eat. We know he didn't have the resources. We know his disciples don't have the money. And yet he provided. And his provision was abundant, was satisfying, because we've had more than enough to eat. And we're so full, and there was even leftovers. Could could this be the one that Moses was talking about? And so that was their conclusion. But look at verse 15. Based on their conclusion, what did they wanted to do? Therefore, John tells us, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So immediately when they started realizing truly this is the Moses that Moses spoke about, immediately from their conclusion, Jesus realized they wanted to make him as king. Why? Because they wanted a king who could set them free from the bondages of Rome. They wanted a king who could provide for their physical needs. They wanted a king under whose rule they can ultimately prosper. 
And surely, if Jesus is like Moses, who led people out of slavery, out of Egypt, this could be the one who could lead us out of the slavery to Rome. And surely if Jesus could provide bread from heaven and perform all these miraculous signs, what could stop him from being the powerful liberator the people of Israel had longed for? And in their minds, they're thinking, and if Jesus is unwilling to assume the responsibility of becoming king, we will make him by force king. We will form a mob around him. We will even uh, dare the authorities to respond, which now will force Jesus to take up the mantle we have given him. And yet, they missed it. Because what is Jesus providing? If you're taking notes the ultimate provision that Jesus provides is not liberation from the bondage of Rome. It's not prosperity. The ultimate provision that Jesus provides, if you're taking notes, is himself. That's what Jesus ultimately provides, is himself. Well, like, Jesus did not come to set the people free from the oppression of Rome. He came to set the people free from the oppression of sin. Jesus did not come to give them bread so that their stomachs could be filled. He came to give himself because later on, if you read on in chapter 6, what is Jesus going to say he is? He is the bread of, of life. Jesus came to give himself. For Jesus is a king and comes, has a kingdom of no, of no other. Jesus himself knew that the way his kingdom would triumph would not be by beating his enemy in siege warfare, but by dying and rising from the dead. Jesus would go to Jerusalem not to wield the sword and bring judgment on those who are oppressing his people, but rather to receive the sword's thrust and to bring judgment upon himself. And so after Jesus recognized the mob's enthusiasm to crown him as King Jesus fled, he sent his disciples away out of fear that his disciples will buy into this misguided enthusiasm from the crowd. Because why did Jesus come? Jesus, the great provider. And in the great provider, he provides his provision satisfies, it endures, because his provision is ultimately himself. Look at verse 16. We're almost done here. After he sent his disciples away and ran from the crowd, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness has already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. A high wind arose, and the sea began to churn. And after they rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him on board, and at once the boat was at the shore where they were heading. So, so the disciples were left to go to the other side. They found themselves in a boat in the middle of the storm. It was dark. Jesus wasn't there wondering that Jesus abandoned them. Has anyone seen Jesus? 
And as they're rowing, all of a sudden they see an object thinking it was a ghost that was coming near to them. But then they saw Jesus. He was walking on the water. Moses crossed the Red Sea. What did Jesus do? Jesus walks on the water because Jesus controls the water and controls everything about it. And so again, he demonstrates his power to the disciples' wavering hearts. And I think many of us can kind of, in a sense, relate to these disciples where our faith at times can be shaky and unstable. And yet, what does Jesus do? Jesus has the power over everything, even the things that we are uncertain about. And so the waves that scared the disciples submitted to Jesus, which means we can rest in the sovereignty of God who controls everything. And he does not leave us alone in our needs, but rather he meets us where we are, even in our doubting and our wavering hearts. He comes and he provides himself, even when we struggle to trust him, because he reminds us of who he is. So, so, so let's wrap it up here. What, what do we see in this text? John shows us that Jesus is the true and better Moses. He is the great provider. And his provision satisfies. His provision endures and does not spoil. For his provision is himself. There's nothing Jesus cannot overcome. There is no obstacle that is too great. Even a mighty storm in open waters, with a word the waves submit to Jesus. And so at the end of the day, what we're reminded and what John is trying to show us is Jesus is the sustenance we need. He is the one who sustains us. He is the one that provides for us, and his provision is not limited. It is abundant. It is overflowing. And we lack nothing when we have him. And so the invitation is, here is Jesus, who is the great provider, who can satisfy the deepest desires and longings of your heart. And the way he has done it is by giving himself to you. So believe in him. Stop chasing after things that's never going to satisfy you. Stop chasing after things that are running out. Stop chasing after things that are so fragile that you think is holding out the promise and the second you have and obtain it, how do you feel? Empty. Here is Jesus, which next week we're going to find out is the bread of life, the bread from heaven. And when you eat it, and when you drink it, you will never hunger again. You will never thirst again. And so as we get ready to sit at the table, we are reminded of the provision of Christ. How did he provide himself for us? By living a life we could not live, 
and died a death we were supposed to die. And by giving his body and shedding his blood, taking all of our sins upon himself, he paid for it in full. He satisfied the wrath of God. And through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, we can have forgiveness. We can have new life. We can be set free from the bondages of sin. We can have peace with God because we are reconciled to the Father through Jesus Christ. And what do we do? We receive what He has freely given. We believe. And what believe basically is, it is just simply receiving what's been given to you, believing that what Christ has done is enough. And so as we get ready to distribute these elements, like think about the provision that Christ has given you. Think about how he died in your place, the ultimate gift he's given you himself when you unworthy, when you did not deserve it. He laid down his life for you. He bought you because he loves you. And think about all the wonderful privileges now you can have in Christ. Meditate on those privileges. And then for some of you that might not believe or you're struggling to believe, I want to invite you in. Believe. The things you're chasing after will never satisfy. Only Christ can. Believe that what he's done for you is enough. That he fulfills. He satisfies. Let's distribute these elements. I'll pray for us, and then we can meditate on these truths. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the ultimate provider and that your provision satisfies, it endures, for you have given yourself to us. Help us to meditate upon these truths. Help us in faith to receive these truths. And for those who are struggling to believe, Lord, open up their eyes, help them to understand, help them to see their need for you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's meditate on these truths. I'm just so overwhelmed by the provision of Jesus, which is providing himself. Like, just think about this for a moment here. Jesus didn't just say, hey, 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 here's life. Here's food that will probably take care of for the rest of your life. Here's all the resources you need. Here's a little bit of joy. Here's a little bit of happiness. Here's a little bit of meaning. Now, what did he give? He gave himself. Because all of those things cannot be enjoyed, cannot bring satisfaction apart from him. Those things can only be enjoyed when we are with him. And this is what he gave, what we truly needed, himself. So what does that mean? When you feel at times God doesn't love you, God doesn't care about you. God is not providing for you. 
God forgets you, he overlooks you. We come to the table and we are reminded, no, those are lies. Because this table reminds us that Jesus gave himself for me. What more would I need? As I'm reminded of his body that was given to me, eat it in remembrance of him. This cup that represents his blood that was shed for me, the new covenant I have in him, I can drink it in remembrance of him. Take it and drink it. Just take a moment right now and just thank the Lord for giving himself to you. Think about the significance of Jesus giving himself to you. Lord, I am so grateful for your abundant provision that you did not hold back, but you gave everything. For you have given yourself to us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us never take that for granted. Help us to realize the treasure we have in Jesus Christ, that we have life in Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness in Jesus Christ, we have freedom in Jesus Christ, we have joy in Jesus Christ, we have peace in Jesus Christ. What more could we need? What more could we ask for? For you have already given us everything. And Lord, forgive us when we do not fully realize what we have in Christ. For we are quick to forget. And so help us to constantly look to you. And in the times when we're forgetting, Lord, bring it to our minds as we're reminded that you are the great provider. Your provision satisfies. Your provision endures for you have given yourself to us. And may that stir in us a deeper gratitude, a deeper desire for you. We love you and we praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Can we stand and can we worship Jesus, our great provider?